Our New Testament reading this morning is from Acts chapter 17, verses 16 to 34. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he argued in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and also in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Also, some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers debated with him. Some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign divinities. This was because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So they took him and brought him to the Areopagus and asked him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? It sounds rather strange to us, so we would like to know what it means. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners living there would spend their time in nothing but telling or hearing something new. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor, he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some scoffed, but others said, We will hear you again about this. And at that point, Paul left them. But some of them joined him and became believers, including Dionysus, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Gospel reading is from Matthew chapter 28. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for your word and spirit. We thank you that you promised to meet us here in our time of worship. And we thank you for the ways in which you've already been doing that. 
Would you meet us now as we reflect on your scriptures? Would your spirit be alive and active among us? Would you meet us in our minds and pull our attention toward yourself? Would you meet us in our hearts and pull our love and our loyalty toward you that we might hear your voice, that we might see something beautiful about you and your promise that maybe we've been missing until now? And would you wrap yourself around us in such a way that you change us, that you actually change our lives and lead us forth into a bigger story and a new and more beautiful way of living in your world? Would you use our time together now to remake us in the likeness of Jesus? in whose name we pray. Amen. So when was the last time you got good news? Like, hey, you're getting a raise, or we've accept received your application and you're accepted, or, you know, the treatment is working, or whatever, right? Like good news, like good news that felt good. When was the last time you got that kind of news? And what was that like? Now hold on to that feeling because we're about to talk about evangelism, which is a word that many of you probably don't feel warm and fuzzy about as soon as I say it. It's a word that carries all kinds of weird baggage for us, but we are here at the, at the fifth of five sermons in the series that we've been going through of Marks of the Church's Mission. We've been considering different aspects of what is it that the church everywhere is really called to do. And on this last week, this last one, we're focusing on this aspect of the church's mission, evangelism. And evangelism comes from a Greek word, euangelion, which literally just means good news. So evangelism as a word is sort of like good newsism. But when you hear the word evangelism, what do you think of? What feelings in your body emerge when you hear that word? I did, I've done some interviews <clears throat> this week of our staff and some friends. They're like, hey, evangelism, tell me. How, do you, how does that word hit you? What, do you? what do you think of? And it's been fascinating to hear just all of the different baggage that we carry when we hear that word, right? There is baggage from, for some of you, if you've grown up in the church, if you've been around for a long time, there's the baggage you carry from maybe doing evangelism yourself or being expected to or being part of a youth group or a campus ministry or a church where doing evangelism, this activity was like part of it and you were supposed to or you did like do a thing called evangelism, right? And maybe that was awkward or maybe that was, you felt pressure around that, whatever, but that's part of it. So there's like the, the, the being part of an evangelizing effort. There's that kind of baggage. Then there, for others, there's baggage around being on the receiving end of someone's evangelism efforts, right? Being somebody's project and how that's felt. Or there's baggage from like what you've seen or heard in public, like when you walk by City Hall and there's a guy with the loudspeaker and the microphone like condemning you, though he's never met you, you know, stuff like that. And then there's other, there's this other piece that's complicated too, because it's like that word evangelism sure sounds a whole lot like the word evangelicalism, 
which gets a whole lot of press these days and has been and is a whole complicated thing. So evangelical and evangelicalism with all of the political connotations or cultural sociological connotations, what does that mean? Those things, it's hard to separate those maybe. And so all of that stuff is just there. And I want us to just name it because we can't talk meaningfully about evangelism as a mark of the church's mission without kind of like, Reading the room, let's all be here together. What are we bringing? What are we bringing into this space? So before we start looking positively at evangelism, because it is an important thing. Guys, we, we are stewards of the greatest story ever told. We're stewards of the greatest news that can be given to the world. It's the news of what God has done for us in Jesus. And we are given the honor and the blessing of carrying that kind of good news into the world. But we feel so complicated so often about stewarding it because of all the ways in which that stewardship puts us in places where it doesn't feel like we're bringing good news. Or doesn't feel like the, the good news that we bring is desired or desirable, right? Or we've seen it done in toxic ways and we don't want to repeat the sins of the past. And so it's complicated. It is complicated. That's what we're here to talk about. But first, before we get into some of the positives, let's just unpack. Let's get, let's get down to the bottom of some of the baggage that we bring just so that we understand. Where are we? The you are here dot on this map, right? So think about some of the baggage that maybe if you've grown up in the church, so I didn't, I wasn't a church kid. I came into this as an adult. So we'll get to my experience later because I was effectively evangelized. I've also been very uneffectively evangelized too, right? So I carry a bunch of stories like you do, right? But okay, so for those of you who've grown up in the church, um, and I've been around the church for a while now, so I've, I've been part of things too, but, um, what are some of the challenges, right? So you've, maybe you were expected as part of your church or youth, youth group or college ministry or something, you were expected or you were involved in an evangelism ministry. I got to hear some really fun stories from our staff on Tuesday about what, did, what was that like for you? But there's like one, one aspect of the difficulty is the socially awkward mode, right? When you think of evangelism, what's the first thing you think of? Well, for some, it's like, I was expected to go into a public space and broach a conversation with a complete stranger and expected in that moment to somehow have a spiritually significant conversation with someone I've never met in my life. It's like, wow, yeah, that would be weird. Yeah, I mean, I, I, if I were involved in a thing like that, I think I would be carrying some baggage too, right? Other baggage is like the manipulative tactics of it all. Maybe, not, maybe it's not the socially awkward piece that sticks with you. Maybe it's just the actual coercive piece of it. Like the, um, the trying to scare the literal hell out of people, right? You walk up to a stranger on the street and it's like, if you died tonight, do you know where you would go? Um, if someone walks up to me on the street and says that, I'm just going to cross to the other side of the street, right? It's like when I walk home from here, usually on the corner by Whole Foods, there's often someone in some sort of vest and with a clipboard who is there ready and trying like a heat seeking missile, like trying to make eye contact with me to have a conversation. And I just can tell from their posture that they're about to come up to me and say something like, you look like the kind of guy who can spare a few minutes to end child hunger, right? Or, or whatever. It's like, and then you're in this situation where either 
I say no to that by walking away or I allow this person to hijack my walk home and now we're having a conversation about whether I'll give $10 to this fund, right? When evangelism feels like the Christian equivalent of that, it's just sort of icky. And many of you have been involved in situations where that's, that's how it goes. It's like this tactic where in order to deliver good news, you have, to, you have to have a prologue where you deliver bad news. And that's your starting point of like, be afraid of hell so that you will then get to the point where you're asking, what shall I do to be saved? That's the good news I'm here to bring you. But I got to get you to that point. And I just met you and we're on the street corner and this is what we're doing. That's weird, guys. That's like, that's not normal behavior. And so if you're carrying baggage around evangelism because that's what it's been like, well, you should be bothered by that tact. That's not how we do this. That's not what it looks like to steward the story well. Or for others, the, the baggage you carry, it's, maybe it's not the socially awkward piece or the, or the manipulative piece. It's just the pressure of it all. Like feeling pressure, like I'm supposed to always be closing. Like I'm supposed to be out there, like, like this is my calling in life is to be like this salesperson and the used car that I'm peddling is the story of Jesus who died for your sins. And all I'm trying to do is get you to sign on that dotted line. So how, like, let's have that conversation, right? And feeling pressure, like this is what, this is what faithfulness looks like, is for you to be an effective closer of a deal. And so to be a mature and fruitful Christian is like to have a lot of notches in your belt on deals that you've closed or people you've led to the Lord or something like that. Or then the shame when you don't do it, the guilt of not doing it enough, right? And so like the pressure and the feeling of like, what it means to be a good Christian is this and I just haven't done enough. And so you carry around these expectations and the weight of them. Then there's this other side. So that's like, okay, the baggage of like being part of groups that are doing this in particular ways. And it's also worth noting too, everybody's story is different. And some of you likely came to faith through someone doing something like that. And you know what? God uses these things. We were also just telling stories at our staff around, there's a story of one guy that, that one of our, our staff members met where it's like, well, what's your story? How'd you come to faith? And he was like, I was completely hammered in a bar and someone was there and handed me a tract and I put it in my back pocket and stumbled home and woke up the next morning completely hungover and found this thing in my pocket and was like, what's this? And I read it and gave my life to Jesus and I'm completely different now. Like that happens. Like, like God will do incredible things with all kinds, of, all kinds of means, right? So we certainly don't want to put God in a box or pretend like any of these things can't be effective. They, they certainly can. God will drive a straight blow with a crooked stick so many different ways. Thanks be to God. That doesn't mean that we should try to use as crooked a stick as possible, right? Like we can still be wise. So what about the experience of being on the receiving end? This is more where I can offer my own story feeling, you know, my own genuine story. So I remember being an eighth grader and um, I wasn't raised in the church, but there was a large church on the corner, had an active youth group. And, you know, some of my friends from school were very intent to invite me to, to participate. And I was not interested at all. But then there was one time where I was like, okay, fine. So I went and I visited one time and I was wearing a Grateful Dead t-shirt. And um, I met the, the adults who were leading the youth group, right? And uh, it was a husband-wife team. And 
I got introduced. They were super nice, super gracious, but it went like this. This is in Atlanta, Georgia, okay? It was like, honey, this is Chris. He listens to the Grateful Dead. <laughs> and it was like this wink, wink, like we got one of these, you know? Which is like so obvious. I'm just sitting there like, oh, Lord, okay, what are we doing here? Uh, and they were super sweet and super nice. But it was, you know, it was just one of these things where it's like, okay, I am so their project, right? Like I am clearly one who is in desperate need of whatever they have to offer. And it is like, they, they couldn't be less curious about what I care about, right? It's like, I just have all the markers of someone who's desperately in need of what they have to give me, right? And it felt like that. It absolutely felt like that. Um, it's, it's a feeling of, of being someone else's project or of being like disregarded where if you've ever been in a conversation where no one ever asks a question of you, but you can tell like what they care about. The reason we're here having this conversation is that I am so committed to delivering to you the thing that I have to say. And that is the end of what I care about in this conversation. Curiosity about you has so little to do with what we're doing here, Right. So we experience that, or we've been on the receiving end of that. Um, or, or then there's just these weird tactics. Christians can be so weird. Like I remember um, uh, one of my buddies, when we were in freshman year of college, you know, he owed me like 15 bucks because I had paid for something or whatever. And then instead of paying me back, he bought me a ticket to a Christian concert to go with him. It was, you know, he was being all like strategic, you know? Um, and so we went. But it's like, dude, can I have my 15 bucks? Like, if you want to take me to a concert, buy me a ticket. Don't, you know, it's just so weird. Or, or waiting tables when instead of leaving an appropriate tip, you get like the message of salvation that's like more valuable than 20%, you know. Um, like, or trick-or-treating. Instead of a Snickers, how about words of life, you know? Don't do that stuff. Just like, and if your story is, I was trick-or-treating and got a try, like, that, praise, praise God. That's, that's fantastic. But then, and then there's like, right, it's still like, let's keep it, keep it going. So like evangelism, what, what muddies the water for us? It's like, okay, there's experiences of what you were a part of. There's experiences of what you've received. There's the weird public stuff, right? Um, you know, the Tim Tebow and the eye paint and the, you know, the, the professional athletes who have the, the after the game interview. And it's like, you know, there's some sincere ones that sound very sincere. And, and, and Tim, I think Tim Tebow is pretty sincere. But like there's, there's these ones where you can tell it's an overflow of someone's heart where they just don't know how not to speak about their faith. Then there are other ones where it's like they've clearly been preparing because they've been hoping to get the 10 second interview. And it's like a demonstration of like, this is what faithfulness must look like. I have to use this opportunity to make famous the name of Jesus, right? And I commend making famous the name of Jesus. I mean, look what I do for my job, right? But like, there's a way in which it feels contrived or it feels like, like this, you're part of a machine and you've got a role to play and it's just, it just isn't compelling. And then there's, of course, well, there's the guy at City Hall with the megaphone who like screams at you that you're bound for hell and that, you know, like try to turn away from the fire and, and come and listen to what he has to say. But 
Then there's just like the, the real ugly history, right? Like, let's face it. The history of Christianity is ugly. There's a lot of beauty. Absolutely, there's a lot of beauty. Some of the best things human beings have ever done in all of history have been Christians in action, living sacrificially in love. And some of the ugliest and worst things that people have done in human history have been done in the name of Jesus. The Crusades, right? That's part of our history. The colonialism, where European nations conquered and exploited a whole bunch of peoples and places and brought the church with them. And evangelism was sort of traveling together with imperialism. And it wasn't about the good news of Jesus who puts his life beneath you. It was about cultural imperialism and Christianizing the world. And there was a lot of violence and exploitation and appropriation, all that stuff. It's like, that's real too. And those are, when, when those things are what loom large in our imagination, like this is what evangelism just is, no wonder we get skittish around. No wonder we don't want to repeat the sins of the past. We don't want to be cultural imperialists. That's not what evangelism is or should be. Evangelism, it's good newsism. What is the good news? Well, first and foremost, it is news. It's news. And in the early church, when they spread the good news, they were spreading breaking news of what God had done in the world in Jesus. That something new and world-changing had happened, and that changes everything. And the thing that had happened is that God raised Jesus from the dead. And when God raised Jesus from the dead, it, it opened up this whole world of reinterpreting all that had happened up to that point, all that God had said up to that point, and it blew the doors open for how will we now live in the world differently. And the story of Christ, as it came to be understood, as, as these, these early Christians were rehearsing, what has God done? What does this mean? They came to realize that what God had done is God who had created the world, and had made humanity to have a particularly special and beautiful place in it, to be stewards of creation, to be the, the ones who lived like God in the earth in such a way that they would bring forth life and beauty and build out a world that thrives, that this humanity had turned away from God tragically and turned against one another violently to where the human stewardship of the world broke. And instead of cultivating a world of beauty and goodness, human beings had ended up pitted against one another and, and, and turned away from God and started making a world that hurts. And they did it in ways that hurt one another. And yet God was so faithful to stick with his creation, stick with his people, that he persisted in his promise to make all things new. And eventually, when the human beings that he was involving in this project got to this point where they just, they just weren't going to get it done, God stepped into the story himself in the person of Jesus Christ to take upon himself this human responsibility to steward creation toward that beauty and that wholeness and that justice that God loves. And Jesus lived that life of God in the world as a human being. And we snuffed him out. 
We didn't want it. Or at least so we thought we snuffed him out. But God didn't even leave that up to us. God raised him from the dead. That light that had dawned in the darkness that we tried to snuff out, he raised him from the dead and the darkness could not overcome the light. And in fact, what God has done in Jesus now is as he's raised him from the dead, he's this firstborn of a new creation. God has planted in the earth his very own life. And he's now inviting all human beings to know that life and to participate in that life and to be renewed in that life in Jesus because he's come for us all. God is making all things new and our deepest longings are aimed at the beauty that he's promised. And our most painful losses, he feels them with us and bears the weight of them himself. The brokenness of the world that we lament, he laments those things too. But he has more than tears and even more than human energy to spend on it. He has all the power of heaven and he's making all things new. Our longings and our losses, they find their answer in him. The relational brokenness that feels like I'm just so stuck and I don't know how to move forward. God moves toward you across that same kind of stuckness and takes on all the heavy lifting to be in relationship with you and deals with all of the real things that need to be forgiven and healed so that you can be in this peaceable union of love. God loves you like that. And the injustice of the world that you look at and just like the systems are broken, people are selfish, power is just not distributed evenly, wealth is hoarded among the few, The whole thing just is so wrong. The one who holds the world and all creation in the palm of his hand came to be born among us as a marginalized poor person who died at the hands of lawless people in an empire. He came to be a lynched man and save us from all of the brokenness and all of the violence, all the havoc we wreak on the world. This is the Lord who loves us, who's come for us, and he's been raised from the dead, and he's the one who is making all things new, and he's inviting us to get involved with him, to be part of the peacemaking vocation of the world. That's why we practice that in the middle of our service every Sunday. The good news that we steward is good news that is really good news. It's real and it matters and it actually changes the way we live in the world. It changes what we hope for. It changes what we love. It changes how we spend our time. It changes how we spend our money. It changes, on, it changes how we do relationships. It reorients us to God and to one another as people of love who are coming into the world, not only to bear good news, but to live it. I should probably talk about this text. So we read Acts 17, where Paul goes into into Athens and he is, I'll just talk about this for a very short minute because I've already talked a lot. Um, But it's this moment where where Paul, he's he's traveling through the world and he comes to Athens and um, he's he's really waiting for, um, uh, so Silas and Timothy, he sent them off 
well, okay, long backstory. We don't have time for all that. Anyway, he's in, he's in Athens and he's talking in a public place and he's, he's, it says he's grieved in his spirit, right? So Paul, he walks into, city, into the city and he sees all these idols. He sees all the things that the people are trusting in. And he says, I see you're very religious. All these gods, all these temples. And he picks up on one where this unknown God, right? And he's like, I know him. Let me tell you about him. So he wades in. And what I love about this scene from Paul is that his heart is breaking because he sees the bankruptcy of the life system of the people that he's there to meet. But he doesn't lead with that. What you get from Paul in this moment isn't like, you idiots, you're trusting in bankrupt false gods. You know, he's not shouting at them. He's marveling at probably the city that's an architectural wonder with all of these beautiful things and so much skill and so much mastery and wealth. It's all been devoted to this pantheon of gods. He's grieved because he realizes, man, they're, they're trusting in all of these things that can't possibly answer what, they, what they're hoping for. But he sees among them this opportunity where the thing that they're longing for there's this other unknown God who's there and named. And he says, let me, let me introduce you to this one. I, I've met him and I can come and I can tell you about him. And he finds an audience there and they talk. And at the end of it, some hear and believe, some hear and, and don't believe, right? And some just kind of walk away confused. But what I love about it is that Paul pays attention to the people and he, he actually considers, is curious about what they're longing for. He actually meets them at their own point of contact where he's like, look, you all are very religious. I can see that. You all are looking to the gods for help. And you acknowledge that there's at least one that you don't know. Let me introduce you to this one. And he begins to tell the story of Jesus, right? And that's where I think there's this indicator for us about how is it that we can appropriately and effectively share our faith? What does evangelism look like when it's done well? And I think part of what it is when it's done well is like, it's just this genuine sharing of what is authentically good news to you with people you care about in conversations about the things that they care about. When you do life together with people and you actually know one another and you come to understand what is it that you long for? What is it that you lament? What is it that you're working really hard at? What are the baskets that you're putting your eggs in? You know? Because 401k is a good thing, but it won't answer your deepest longings. Right? Or like that 5 a.m. routine where you're going to optimize your life. Like that's probably good. It's also going to be limited and it won't be the solution that you're hoping that it will be. It might be a good thing to do, but it, it won't get you where you really are longing to go. None of these things will. The relationship that you long for, that you feel deprived in because you don't have it, it's like, it could also be a good thing, but it will inevitably disappoint you as well. And you can go down the line, right? Like if the apostle Paul were to walk into our midst and were to look at our religiosity and would see our idols, what would he look at? Pastor Tim Keller has made famous that 
sort of modern picture of idolatry today, like money, sex, and power as the, the chief idols of our age. The things that we look to in which we put our trust, thinking that they will give us the good life that we desire. Those are our Zeus and Hermes, right? The, the, the statues that we pay homage to and give our allegiance, the things that we invest in, the things that we enlist into our service, thinking that they will serve our ends, that before you know it, we realize the tables have turned and we actually serve it with our lives. The good news of Jesus is that God meets us in the real stuff of life and liberates us from those dead end roads, those fruitless endeavors, and liberates us with his love to follow him in a way that actually leads toward the horizon of his promised new world where all things are set right and invites us to participate now with him in a world that reflects that beauty, portrays it now, and even cultivates it in the midst of the here and now. It's an incredible honor what God has enlisted us in. And we get to do this and your neighbor gets to do it too. We get to discover together more of the beauty of God. So here are my thoughts to speak positively, how, how can we, what should this look like if we're doing evangelism faithfully and well and beautifully, right? Well, one, I think as a people of faith living in this city and living in our neighborhoods and living in your workplaces, just be rem reminded, there is no non-faith way of doing life. It's not like there's like sacred and secular or religious and non-religious. It's like every human being is living by faith in something. We all at the core of our being hold, hold various things uncritically. And if you just keep doing the questioning, if you just keep asking, well, why do you believe that? Every one of us has something at the core of our being that says, I believe it because I believe it. And that's true of all of your neighbors. So it's not like there's this rational way of doing life, of living in a closed world where it, there's, no, there's no transcendence. It's not like that's a reasonable thing and we're over here being unreasonable faith people. Everyone lives by faith. The question is, what are you trusting? Why are you trusting it? And how is that going for you? Right? And what we are here to do is be people who are trusting Jesus with our lives. And trust is different from belief. Belief is related but like I can believe that this pew will hold me and I can never test it, but it takes my actual sitting in it to be entrusting myself to its weight, right? We can believe a lot cognitively about Jesus, but it's only when we actually trust, our, trust him with our lives, where we actually change the choices we make based on a commitment to follow him into the world. It's only then that we even begin to discover what is this good news all about? What does it mean? And it's only then when we begin to have something really authentic to say. And so the first idea about what does it mean when we do evangelism well, is like, well, we do it genuinely. That we only talk about what we know. And what we talk about isn't just a message, like a theological idea. It's the story of our lives re-narrated through the story of Christ. And we help others re-narrate their lives as well. The second thing is like, it's gotta be honoring to the other person people. It can't be objectifying. It can't be colonizing. We're not here to be imperialists planting a Christian flag on new territory to take the beach for Jesus. That's not what we do. What we're here to do is to love our neighbor. 
to honor others in his name, right? And so instead of you being my project where I'm gonna come to you because I've got what you need, instead, I wanna come alongside you as your fellow traveler because we're both subjects in God's story. It's not that I'm the subject and you're the object of mission. It's that we're both the subjects in God's story and he's doing something beautiful. And if we walk together, we might just discover more of it together. Now, instead of me just hoping you see Christ in me, I'm looking for Christ in you. And we're, there's real give and take. We're honoring one another. We're actually practicing spiritual friendship. And you're not my project, right? We're friends. Another thing is I think it needs to be intentional. I think sometimes because evangelism has been so bungled and we get skittish around it, we just don't do it. Like we just kind of hope people might see Jesus in us, but we don't intentionally try to show up as a witness for Jesus in any sort of thoughtful way. But you're called to do that and it's a real honor to be called to be a witness for Jesus. Be willing to be different in a beautiful and compelling way. Not all awkward is created equal, right? Prayerful. No one can make a Christian but God, right? It's not about how gifted you are. God is at work doing beautiful things and we should pray. We should pray that God show us more of who he is and pray that God will do good things in and with us. I think evangelism is communal. It's less about you as an individual sales rep for Jesus, making a believer out of an unbeliever. And it's more about how can we as a community create space for people to belong before they believe. It's about belonging first. So it's about hospitality first. And maybe lastly is just that evangelism can't be impossibly simplistic. Like you're not coming with a silver bullet answer to all of the complicated questions. You're coming as a steward of God's own life and spirit. And what you're offering is a person, the living God who is here to be with you in all of the complexity of life. You're not offering a simple answer to, the life, to life's hard questions. You're coming offering Jesus who is here and who is enough. And that means sometimes that the, the most powerful message you might be sharing is, I don't know why, but I know who, right? When it's an impossibly simplistic answer to the hard questions, it falls flat because it is flat. And the reason the spiritual but not religious group is the fastest growing religious group in the United States is because so much of the religious group has found to be not so spiritual. It's about having the, this list of answers. But we come as those filled with the life of God to sit in the complexity of all the real stuff of life with Jesus and to sit with our neighbors in a way that we do this together. And that's our calling. And this is the stuff of life. When the church lives into our calling, this is what we do. Evangelism, good newsism. We are stewards of the best news that there is. And that is an incredible honor. And so when you think about the news that you, you share effectively, 
the, the things where when you talk about it, maybe you saw a great movie or you visited a great restaurant. I've been using the Noom app and I've lost some weight. And some people ask me, oh, Chris, are you, how, how are you doing that? And I tell them about Noom. And like, I've got like 15 people who signed up for Noom in the last two weeks. You know, because it's just like, when, it, when it's a compelling story and it's a, it's a real first person testimony, they're like, oh man, that's interesting. Like, I want that. You saw a great movie and you tell people about it, they want to see it too. You found a great restaurant. Like, I hope you will tell me about that because I want to check that out. I want to check it out with you. When you steward good news, it is good news. The opportunity before us today and this week is to discover ourselves more and more the beauty and the goodness of the news of what God is doing in your life in Jesus. To lean in more, to discover more, and then to get involved with your neighbors in a way that what you share is authentic. My prayer for us is that God would give us grace to be that kind of community where the good news of Jesus becomes contagious through us because we're living this way on mission together with him. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the good news that you give us in Jesus. We thank you for the way in which you show up in our world and in our lives and you're doing an incredible and beautiful thing. I do pray that you would be with us and that you would attend to each and every one of us. We acknowledge the baggage we carry and the weirdness that we've experienced in the church. We acknowledge even ways that we've participated in those kinds of things. Um, and we do ask that you would give us grace to be a beautiful and compelling community that's not blindly or even willfully repeating sins of the past, but that is really and truly endeavoring to live as Christ-like servants in your world, as spiritual friends to others, where we ourselves are savoring the goodness of the news of what it is that you're doing, what you've done in Jesus. So that when we share, we're, we're actually genuinely talking about what's real in our own lives. And we do pray that you would use us mightily to bring renewal in the lives of people we know. God, we, we want to be a blessing. And we pray that you would give us grace to join you in your work of making all things new. And so we pray your blessing on us now. In Jesus' name, amen.